We exist to see God glorified and churches multiplied by declaring and displaying the gospel. Well, good morning. Happy Easter. And uh, he is risen. Oh, praise God. This is a, uh, a great day. It's, it's a day um, that's, at least here at Emmaus, it's a day that's not so much different than any other Sunday. Right? It's a day where we preach Jesus, um, his, his life, death, resurrection, just like we do every Sunday. And yet there's something special when um, the body of Christ across the globe is gathered um, today specifically for the purpose of remembering our resurrected Jesus. And so, man, it's a joy to see you today. I, I love to see all the bright colors that you only wear today and no other day of the week. That's good. If you have on sage or mint green, you're invited to our family photo after the service. And so come join us. I, See, several of you uh, came ready for that. But um, hey, if you're a guest, it's great to have you with us. It's our, our joy to have you here today. Uh, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. And so on behalf of our pastors and our members, uh, thanks for, for joining us today. If there's anything we can do for you, anything way that we can serve you, anything we can pray for you about, um, anything that we can do, let us know. We'd love to, uh, to serve you that way. Um, feel free to stop by the Connect table in the lobby on your way out today. Uh, get more information about us. Ask us any questions you want. Uh, and, uh, and then let us just get to know you for a minute as well. I'll be at the door out as you leave as well, and we'd love to, to meet you if you're a guest here with us. Thanks for again for being here. And we want to pray, and then we want to get into this. And, and as we do this, we want to pray for, um, for ourselves as we listen to the Word, and that the Spirit would speak um, uh, to our hearts. And then we also want to pray for the church globally. Um, even this morning, uh, as, as you slept, our brothers and sisters around the globe were, were rocked by attacks um, in churches. Um, hundreds um, have have gone on to be with the Lord, um, resurrecting, celebrating resurrection with, um, with their fellow brothers and sisters, and they woke up on the other side of glory. Right? They woke up in, in heaven this morning with Christ after, um, after those attacks. So we want to pray for them, for their families, uh, meaning, and, and then we want to pray for us here today. All right? Jesus, you are so beautifully good. We thank you that today we get to come and we get to celebrate like we do every week, but today in a very special way that you came, that you lived, that you died, and that you rose again. Father, any in this room who are followers of you are so because of your resurrection. It is the hope that we have and it is the, the answer that we give for why we call you God, Jesus why we believe that you are God and why we have placed our faith in you as our only hope. It is because of your resurrection. And so today we pray that you would encourage those in this room who are followers of you already with steadfast assurance and with preserving faith, calming doubts and fears and, and wonderings because of your resurrection. For those in the room today who don't know you, who've never placed their faith, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, would you save today? The resurrected Christ, draw them, lead them to repentance. May they believe. We pray for our brothers and sisters around the globe who have lost much today. Those who have lost the loved ones. Father, I pray for your comfort, 
for your grace in those families and to those friends. And Father, I thank you that things like this have not stopped the movement of the church for centuries. That you have promised that your church will continue to press forward. So we pray for faith and strength and perseverance for our brothers and our sisters around the globe today. Speak to us this morning. Preach a better sermon spirit than what I have prepared. Speak to our hearts in your name. Amen. Amen. John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Where we've been preaching through the book of Nehemiah. We'll pick that back up next week. We took a break from Nehemiah today to talk about the resurrection. And, uh, and, and ironically, we're back in the Gospel of John, which is where we spent the entire year of last year. Right? All of 2018, we were in the Gospel of John. Easter, picking an Easter text is one of the most um, anxiety-driven things I ever do. Because there's so many good Easter texts. It's like, which one do I choose this year? And this is one, as I continue to read over every account that I could find of the resurrection within Scripture, um, I continue to come back to this one of, of moving my heart. And so I wanted to readdress it with us today from John chapter 20. Now, here's the reality. All of us in this room are doubters in some form or fashion of the resurrection. We have been and we are. Right? There's some in this room who are doubters of the resurrection because you've never placed your faith in it. Like you just don't believe it. Right? The idea that Jesus I, I died and rose again from the dead is just not something that you believe. Right? It's just something that you've chosen not to, to put your faith in. And just to, and it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? I mean, the only person we've ever heard of who has done that beyond, besides the people who he raised from the dead. But they died again. And when we say Jesus rose from the dead, we don't just mean someone rose him. Someone did some, some spell to raise him from the dead only to die again at an older age. We mean he rose himself from the dead and he is alive today. But some of you simply don't believe that. And to you, I would point you to the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, when Paul says, look at the evidence and believe. He doesn't call you to a blind faith. He says, there is, there is evidence here to, to support this. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says this. He says, the scriptures told us this would happen, and then it happened. He says, Peter saw the resurrected Jesus. The apostles saw the resurrected Jesus. 500 other people saw the resurrected Jesus. James, Jesus' own brother, who was not a believer in Jesus as the Son of God, saw the resurrected Jesus and became a believer. Paul saw the resurrected Jesus. And many of these suffered and gave their lives and horrific deaths because of their testimony of believing that Jesus rose from the dead. And then he calls us to look at the tomb that is empty. That, that there is not a body in the tomb. No one can refute that. No one could go there even at that time and refute that. If they could, the authorities would have. Rather, we see in Matthew 28 that instead of going and refuting it, instead of going and finding the evidence that Jesus was there, instead of finding his body somewhere, that the Jewish authorities who had him executed had him, had him killed on the cross, that they actually paid the guards extravagant amounts of money to lie and say that he was stolen. Why? Because the guards came with the testimony. He resurrected from the dead. He's not there. No one came and took him. He's gone. And the Jews believed and paid them extravagant amounts of money to lie 
if there was evidence that Jesus was still dead, it would have been there. Paul goes, believe. If you're here and you're not a believer, believe today. Believe today. Place your faith in Jesus and believe. And then some of us are doubters today. We're believers, but we doubt. We're believers in Jesus, but we doubt. We believe he's the son of God. We believe he died as a ransom for our sin. We believe that he rose from the dead. But there are moments when the beliefs that that we have are weak. But there are moments of doubt or faith. To me, look at questions like this. Could could he really be God? Am, Am I getting this whole thing right? Like, am I believing this in vain? Could he really have died to forgive sins? Like, like is that something he really was capable of doing to, to forgive sins? Would he really forgive my sins? Is that something he truly could do? Is that something he truly would do? Has he really risen from the dead? I mean, this was not just a hoax. This was not just a scam. And there are moments where we have doubt, perhaps logical, right? We just start thinking about the facts, thinking about the details. And we're just like, I just can't wrap my mind around this today. It just doesn't seem like it could be true today. And maybe even more than that, many of us might have those moments of emotional doubt. Where the pain of life is so hard and the exhaustion is so overwhelming. We simply think, how could this be true? How could this be true? And then there's some of us in this room. I would venture to say all of us in this room who are believers, who have moments of doubt, not necessarily cognitively where we question whether or not Christ rose from the dead and whether or not all of this is alive, but where through our affections and our decisions, we choose to believe that it's not true. We choose to act as if it's not true. But this happens every time you look at porn instead of choosing purity. Are you rejecting the resurrected Christ? In that moment, you're choosing that porn is your risen Savior rather than the Lord. In that moment, you're turning to that going, he did not raise from the dead and he has not given me victory over sin. He has not defeated sin and death. So I am stuck here. This happens every time that you wallow in fear instead of casting your cares upon the living Christ who says that he cares, that he hears, and that he answers. When you choose to wallow in your fear instead of casting your cares upon him, you are in that moment doubting the resurrection. Every time you walk in bitterness and unforgiveness, you're rejecting that the perfect son of God has died to forgive the most heinous of sins. And after rising from the dead, he sits at the right hand of God, making intercession on your behalf, actively reconciling you to God. We choose to ignore that, to disbelieve that by our actions of keeping bitterness and anger and unforgiveness within our hearts. But there are all kinds of doubt in this room, and today's text speaks to them. Because today's text reminds us that we're not alone in our doubts. Not only are we come, do we come from a long line of doubters, but we're also met in the very place of our doubt by the very one whom we doubt. John 20, verses 1 and 2. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. And while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. 
So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. We do not know where they have laid him. Now, in context, what has happened is Jesus has, has been betrayed by a friend, Peter. Or, excuse me, by a friend, Judas. He's been denied by a friend, Peter. He's been a victim of hate and fear among the people. He's been a recipient of brutal torture and the victim of a bloody execution. He's been buried in the tomb quickly because of Passover and Sabbath that are coming, and his body's not being able to be treated right. And so here on the third day, as that passes, the women come to treat his body, to care for him. Mary Magdalene, the other women come to the tomb, and when they get there, Jesus isn't there. And we have to understand the setting of which they are coming in, the place from which they have come to this tomb in this moment. Because they are not coming to this tomb in celebration. They're not on their way there going, I cannot wait to get there and find him gone. I can't wait till we get there and he's not there. And it's like this great scavenger hunt. Where's Jesus now? Where they're not looking forward to this moment. And they've not come from a place of celebration. But we don't see the disciples, the followers of Jesus, gathered in the upper room for three days having a party. They're not gathering around with wings and with drink and with cheers and with chants. As D.A. Carson um, would say, they are not, um, they, they are not um, patting each other on the backs and declaring, we can't wait till Sunday. Right? There's no celebration going on because there's no belief that he's coming back. They're in a place of doubt, despite the fact that Jesus has said he's coming back. Right? Despite the fact that he told them in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, he said this, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish. So the son of man um, will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. In Matthew 17, 22 through 23, he said, the son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him and he will be raised on the third day. In Mark 8, 31, Jesus said, it says, Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. In John 2, 19, he said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. In John 10, 18, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. In Matthew 26, 32, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. He's told them this should be no surprise. They should be sitting around going, we can't wait. He said he'd come back. He's given us no reason to doubt him. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He raised Jairus's daughter from the dead. We believe this is going to happen. He has the power over death. Let's celebrate. Everyone grab a cup. Let's drink to this. And yet they don't. There have been none of these moments of just one more day. No balls dropping, no clocks counting down, no confetti guns ready to shoot. The disciples are not celebrating this. Instead, they seem to have forgotten everything, to not have understood anything that Jesus has said. And they're hiding in this upper room in a place of grief and doubt. And this fear 
of what has happened. Doubt of the resurrection has seized their hearts. John 20 tells us they're hiding in fear of what may happen to them. In Luke 24, we see they're hiding in confusion of what just happened. Luke 24, they're, they're in disbelief that Jesus, has, that, that Jesus they have followed is dead. Also in Luke 24, um, they're, they're in frustration that they've given three years to following who they thought was the Messiah, yet now they weren't sure. Mark 16 tells us they were in grief, mourning, and weeping. And surely, they're hiding in shock. For those who have witnessed this whole thing, who have witnessed the, the trial, the beatings, the torture, the blood, the agonizing death, surely they're shocked and trauma. So they sit in the upper room in doubt and in fear. And it's in this place that Mary comes to the tomb. Bavink says the disciples' state of mind was far from believing. They were despondent, dejected, in great doubt, and initially unwilling to believe the report of the resurrection. So even we're going to see when the report comes to them that he is resurrected, they doubt it. So Mary comes to the tomb, and when they get to the tomb, the stone is rolled away, and her response is not to run back to the disciples and to say, he's alive, like he's risen. I don't know where he is, but he's not there. Everything he said is true. Let's go find him. Right? Wait, wait, wait. He said to go to Galilee. Let's go there. I bet he'll find us. Right? That's not her response. This, the, it's, it's like the resurrection doesn't even cross her mind as a possibility in this moment. She goes back and her report is, they have taken his body and I don't know where they have hidden it. So, Peter and John come to the tomb. And when they get there, I love verses, verse 3. So Peter went out with the other disciple, or being John, and they were going toward, as they were going toward the tomb, both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Which I love that John added that about himself. <laughs> right? And I was faster in case anyone forgot that. <laughs> Verse four, uh, verse five, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there. So when they get there, John stops, but Peter goes into the tomb first. Stooping to look in, he sees the linen clothes lying there, the clothes which Jesus, huh, which Jesus had, had worn are lying there. Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and he saw the linen clothes lying there and the, the face cloth which had been on Jesus's head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up in a place by itself. And when the other disciple who had rejected the tomb or who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw, he believed. For as yet they did not understand the scriptures that he must rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to their homes. Now for a piece on the clothes being folded up, go back and listen to Pastor Sam's sermon over this text from our series in John last fall. He covers that, covers that well for us. They get there and John looks in and he sees the clothes lying there and Peter goes in and sees them. And then John walks in. When John goes in, it says, and he believed. And it's the first account we have of someone believing the resurrection. He sees and he believes and John goes, yes, that's it. It makes sense now. I get it now. He was telling the truth now. He is the Messiah. He is God's son. He did rise from the dead. It all makes sense. Yes. 
And so they go back to their homes. What those conversations must have been like, I don't know. Did Peter believe in this moment as well? I don't know. Was John trying to convince him as they were walking back? I don't know. Is Peter still breathing too heavy from running? I don't know. (laughs) John believes. Chapter 20, verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. So Mary's at the tomb now. And as she wept, she stood, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to him, to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. So Mary's back and she looks in and she sees two angels there where Jesus had laid. Surely this is the moment of faith, right? Surely this is the moment of belief. Jesus's body's not in the tomb and two angels are there instead. Surely something happens in her mind, in her heart that goes, yes, he's from God. Yes, believe that he rose from the dead. Yes, something supernatural just happened. And yet when they say what is wrong, she says they have taken his body. I don't know where they have put it. There's still doubt here. There's still disbelief here. And look what happens. Verse 15, excuse me, verse 14. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. She's looking in. She sees angels. She, they say, what, what, what are you looking for? And she goes, they've taken his body. I don't know where they've laid it. And as she turns around, which I can't even fathom in my mind, looking into this tomb where Jesus was not laying, two angels sitting there, and you turn your back on them. And yet somehow in the midst of her grief, in the midst of her disbelief, in the midst of the trauma, in the midst of all the things that has happened, she turns around so dejected and walks away. But as she turns around, there he is. Jesus, the face of her Savior, the face of the one she had come to treat and to care for, the body she had come to anoint. He's standing there. She sees him. And surely this is the moment. Surely the empty tomb didn't do it and the angels didn't do it, but she sees Jesus. This will do it. but she did not know that it was Jesus. Now, perhaps he looked different in his resurrected body, but I doubt so because everyone else, 500 people see him and realize it's him. So she's the only one who thinks he looks different. Perhaps it's, it's the trauma, the state of grief. She's so overwhelmed that she doesn't even realize what she's seeing. Perhaps her eyes are so filled with tears that she can't see clearly. She doesn't recognize him. But we know from Luke 24 that he appears to two other followers just after this. And to those two men, it says they did not recognize him for he hid himself from them. And it was not until he allowed them to see who he was that they did. I tend to believe that might be what's happening here. She looks at Jesus 
and does not recognize him. And verse 15, Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus speaks to her, woman, why are you weeping? Who are you looking for? And she says, thinking he's the gardener, where have you put him? If you'll tell me, I'll go get him. This is the point of the story where the girl who's been hanging out with a guy thinking he's a common guy like her realizes he's actually the king of the kingdom and he's been hanging out with the commoners. This is that kind of moment. She thinks this is a common gardener before her, just a common man. He goes, what are you looking for? She goes, tell me where you took him. I'll go get him. Listen, I'm not going to press charges. I'm not going to make this a bigger deal. You don't even have to go get him yourself. I'll do all the work. I just want his body back. Where is he? Jesus's response. Verse 16. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and to your father, to my God and to your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. Mary. Christian, do you remember? Do you remember that one word? Do you remember that one word when Jesus called you by name? And he said, Lindsay. He said, Sam. He said, Noah. Do you remember when he called you by name and in that moment you realized this is no common man? This isn't the gardener. There is something special here, something dear here. In that one word, in that one moment, all the confusion you had had began to go away. The doubts, the longings, the fears, the worries began to go away when you realized the king, God himself, has called me by name and you melted into him. Do you remember that moment? Jesus said her name and her eyes were open and her heart exploded in faith and she collapses into his arms and cries out, teacher. We know she's in his arms because he tells her, it's not the time to hold on to me. Don't hold on to me. This is not the time to hold on to me. There's things for us to do. I'm not gone yet. Not gone yet. And he tells her, he tells her to go in to tell his brothers that he's ascending to his father and to their father. Do you hear the words of adoption? Do you hear the words of family? Go tell my brothers. My brothers, not my enemies. Not go tell those doubters. Not go tell those with such little faith. 
Not go tell those who are too ignorant to understand what I was trying to teach them. Go tell my brothers that I'm going to my father, who is, by the way, their father. They are in my family, though right now they sit in a place of doubt and fear. But they're my family. Go tell them. And I love Mark's gospel, which is from the perspective of Peter. That it says, and tell Peter also. Because don't you know, Peter, who has denied knowing Jesus three times, is in a deep place of shame in this moment. And Jesus goes, oh, yeah, by the way, tell Peter too. Tell Peter too. Mary goes to them and she tells them, and I can picture John in the room going, I told you so. The one who's believed. I, I knew it. That's what I've been telling you guys. He's back. He's back. Now Luke tells us that later the same day, Jesus appears to these two disciples on their walk to Emmaus. And he reveals himself to them and that they go back to the room, to the upper room. And they go back to the room to say, it's true, Jesus came to us. And when they get there, everyone's like, yeah, he came to Peter too. And so now we have the same day that he's risen from the dead, he's appeared to Mary, to Peter, to the two men on the road, and John is believed without seeing. And there's beginning to be this movement, perhaps, of what is happening among the disciples. And in the midst of this movement, we get John chapter 20, verse 19 and 21. And on the, on, that, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Right? They're still behind locked doors. Jesus is risen. They've received this testimony. They know that he's said he's coming back. They've been told he is back. They also know he said, go to Galilee. Right, One of the other gospels says that when he sent Mary to them, he told her to tell, remind them, meet me in Galilee. And yet here they stay behind locked doors out of fear, fear of the Jews. They had fear before because the Jews had killed Jesus. What are they going to do to us? It must be escalated now. Not only were they out to get us to begin with, but now they're accusing us of stealing the body. They're, they're going to come get us. And they're hiding. And while they're behind these locked doors... It says, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and they said and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And Jesus appears to them. When he appears, he doesn't show up and be like a bunch of fools. You're going to get it now. I'm the king and I'm back and it's time to find a reckoning. Your doubt, your disbelief, your fear. I was supposed to meet you in Galilee. Why aren't you there? He shows up and his words are peace. Peace like no one's ever been able to offer before. A peace unlike the most devout Jew has ever been able to experience before. For now, their peace is because death has been beaten. 
Sin has been paid for once and for all. There is nothing left to reckon with God. Jesus has done it. And he goes, peace. And he shows them his hands and his feet to show them who he is. Verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he had said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side um, where the spear went, I will never believe. I will never believe this. I don't know if you remember if you were ever in youth group as a kid and then you played a game that like we played where one person had to go out of the room. And while they were out of the room, everyone else decided that they knew what was going to happen when that person came back and they came back and they had to figure it out and everyone else knew. It's like this game of anxiousness. I believe there's hundreds of people in counseling today because of this game. (laughs) Everyone knows something I don't know. This has to be what Thomas feels like. Guys, come on, quit playing this game. You were all there together. I know you're in on this. I will never believe that. I'm not going to fall for that. The moment I believe that, you're going to be like, psych. It's got to be one of these feelings of anxiousness and just deep doubt. Because I will never believe this until I get to put my fingers in the holes in his hands and my fists into the hole in his side. Verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your fingers here and see my hands. I put out your hand, place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Eight days. What a long week for Thomas. What a long week of doubt. A long week of frustration and anger. And yet at the right time, Jesus came to him. The time of his salvation, the time of his faith, Jesus comes. And Jesus doesn't say, Thomas, it's been eight days. You still don't believe? Sorry, man, I'm out. But Jesus comes and he looks at Thomas and without Thomas saying anything, he just says, Thomas, touch them. Feel me here. Don't disbelieve, Thomas. Believe. Believe. And Thomas cries out, my Lord and my God, my Lord and my God. Lastly, I want to point out to you that all of this has happened in and around Jerusalem. Why is this significant? Well, because as we've already seen, Jesus told his disciples to meet him in Galilee. He said to them to meet me in Galilee. Right? In Matthew 26, 32, he says, after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And in Matthew 28, 10, he, the resurrected Jesus tells Mary, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee where they will see me. But where does Jesus meet them? Not in Galilee, not yet. 
Jesus meets them in Jerusalem. In the very place of their fear and their doubt. In the very place of their anxiousness and their disbelief. He didn't go to Galilee and wait. And when they didn't show, well, I guess they're not coming. I'll move on to someone else. He met them in their doubt. And like Mary called them by name. This transformed a group of people from fearful and doubtful, hiding in an upper room to people who gave their lives for this resurrected Christ. Christian, Christ has called you by name. If you placed your faith in him, if you've confessed your sins and placed your faith in Jesus, it's because from the beginning of time, he has called you by name. And you heard it and you responded and you believed. He calls you by name and he calls you brother, sister. He calls you by name and he says, my father is your father. And he says this to you while you're in places of doubt, when in seasons of fear, when you don't understand and you're in disbelief and you don't trust and you love your sin more than you love the resurrected savior. Christian, he meets you there, calling you by name and answering your doubt. And it's not because of your perfect faith. It's not because you've never doubted. It's not because you remain steadfast in all things at all times. It's because of his perfect faithfulness. Right? Christ was perfectly faithful to God the Father in his life, never sinning, though tempted in every way we are. He was perfectly faithful to God the Father in his death, taking your sin and offering himself as the recipient of God for the, as the recipient of God's wrath so that you might receive forgiveness. He was perfectly faithful to his promise that he would rise again, defeating death, satisfying God's wrath, and offering you life through faith in him. It's his perfection. It's his faithfulness. It's his never doubting, never wavering, by which we who call ourselves Christians have assurance to rest today. It's because of his faithfulness that we get to celebrate today. It's because of his faithfulness that we get to see and look and gaze upon a resurrected Jesus and the trust and hope and believe that his response to us is peace rather than wrath. It's because of his faithfulness, Christian, that we rest and that we celebrate today. So today, may today above all days be a day of celebration for you. May you go home today or wherever you go today. May you eat good food and may you drink good drink and may you laugh and may you rest and may you not just do so physically, but spiritually. Because today you celebrate that the resurrected king doesn't look at you and pour out wrath, but he looks at you and he says peace because of his faithfulness, because he's called you by name, because you're his brother, child, of God. And to the unbeliever in the room, has never placed your faith in Jesus. Today, though a day of celebration for the rest of us, is a day that should be a day of great fear for you. It doesn't have to be, but in unbelief, in disbelief, and never trusting Jesus, it is. For Christ has said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. 
and he is risen. He is risen indeed, and the scriptures tell us that today he sits at the right hand of God, making intercession for those who are his. And if you have not placed your faith in him, confessing your sins and clinging only to his life, death, and resurrection for your right standing before God, then there is no intercession being made for you. His response to you today is not one of peace. I don't say that hatefully. I don't say that with anger. I say that with a pleading that you would look to him, that you would look into the tomb and see him risen and that you would turn and hear him call your name. And that as you hear him call your name, your heart would explode with faith and you would trust in him. You would trust in him. And you would be saved. Would you do so today? In a moment, those in this room who are followers of Jesus are going to come forward and they're going to take from this bread and this juice. They're going to take the bread and tear it off. And as they do so, they're going to remember that Jesus' body was broken on the cross. And they're going to take it and they're going to dip it in the juice. And as they do, they're going to remember that his body was soaked in his blood and his blood stained the ground below that cross. That blood was spilt for our salvation. And as we take it, we're going to remember that because of what he did on the cross, because he rose from the dead, and because he has called us by name, one day we will get to eat a great feast with him in all of glory. And if you're an unbeliever, we ask that you don't come take, but that you stay in your seat. And we ask for you to do so because to take this juice and this bread does nothing to save you. It is an expression of what we already believe. Instead, watch the people who take this. Find one of them who looks friendly. And after the service, ask them, tell me about Jesus. How can I believe? How can I be saved? We would love to tell you. We pray that today you take Jesus. So church, in a moment after I pray, I'll invite you to come. You'll stand up. You'll go out to your right. Come down. You'll take from one of the three tables. You have a gluten allergy. We have gluten-free over to the, my far right, your far left. As you do so, remember, church, your Jesus has risen, and he has looked at you, and he has said, brother, sister, child of God, peace. And may we celebrate and rest today in that. And Jesus, we thank you for the truth that you have given us here. We thank you that because of the resurrection, there is much for us to celebrate today. And I pray, Spirit, that you would take the words that have been sung, the scriptures that have been read, the sermon that has been preached, and that you would write the words of Christ upon the hearts of those in this room who are unbelievers that they may see the kindness of God and repent. They may see the graciousness of Jesus in their doubt and believe. That they may hear you call them by name today. For your church as we take this. May we do so celebrating. And it is because of your resurrection that we have any hope in life at all. 
this life or the next. We praise you. We celebrate you. Amen. Church, come and take. Thank you for watching this Amaze KC podcast. More information about Amaze KC can be found available online at www.amazekc.com.